Well, it's great to be with you guys this morning. For those of you who are here in the building and for those of you who are watching at home, it's just great to get to celebrate Father's Day. Here we are, 2021, another year, and it's getting late in the year. Like, I was thinking and reflecting, uh, having a, a, a coffee catch-up with someone on Friday, it's like it felt like January, January and February was like yesterday, and here we are, September, and it just keeps going on and on and on. It means I'm getting old. Thank you, Shelley. <laughs> Is this what it's like? It's never-ending speeding tunnel. Is it Garth's birthday? Oh, <laughs> just give, him, give him a hand, give him a hand. Let's, we won't sing, we'll just give him a hand. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thanks, Maggie. <laughs> uh, it's good. It's good to get celebrate together. Happy birthday. 30 again. Another year around. If you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we're in a series called Australian Gospel where we're just trying to go through the book of Mark and have a look at how do we live as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, as Christians in our modern context. And today being Father's Day, I thought rather than just have a look at one specific passage, I thought we'd go through a few passages in the book of Mark. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be jumping around. I try not to do this too much because you can get whiplash. I call it Bible whiplash, like you're in one verse and bam, you're in the other verse. Uh, but we're going to go through a few passages in Mark uh, to have a look at how Jesus operates and shows us um, God, who he is and what he wants for us in our lives. So to begin, us before, to begin us off, before we get into the passages we're going to look at, if there was a God, and I believe there is, but let's just say theoretically, if there was a God, how do we know who he is, what he wants for us, or what they want for us? What, what, what is God, this being who created everything that we have, how do we respond? How do we know how to respond to this God? Well, I believe that God created everything that we see. Um, and that the way we come to know uh, what he wants for our lives, who he is, his intentions and everything, is we have the Bible. The Bible is a major way which uh, is God's chosen way of self-revealing himself to humanity through the people of Israel and then through the person of Jesus. And Jesus says something uh, really interesting. Jesus says about the Father, he says this phrase, and I believe this is one of the key teachings for me at least that say, hey, if I want to know what God is like, I need to look at Jesus and take the record of his life seriously, what we have recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father do. I only do what I see my Father do. So if I look at the life of Jesus and I have a look at what he does, what he says, how he lives, then that gives me an indication as to who God is, what God would have to say in particular situations, and how God wants me to live, because I have the person of Jesus to look to, the record of his life. And if God is real, I believe that all of us, if we had 100% certainty that he was real, our next thing would be, okay then, how do I live in light of this revelation, in light of this being true? And now this is where for us the step of faith comes in, uh, through my experiences, through scripture, through friendships, through being discipled, I've come to see God as real, active, moving in my life. So the question I ask in light of that reality, how then should I live? And the way that I live, or the way that I look to how I should live, is I look at the person of Jesus. Because if Jesus does what he 
sees his father do, then I want to live in line with that. Now, here's where it ties in with Father's Day. Jesus lives a life which fulfills all our needs, shows us how to live. He wasn't just someone who came, who lived, who died, who rose again so we can purely have salvation. That's the end of his story. He also came to teach us how to live, the rhythms of grace, the day-to-day living. We see that in Jesus. God designed us, I believe, to have people who looked after us when we were younger, our parents, to be there to show us how we should live in light of a God reality. That is how I believe he designed it from the beginning. When I look at the, the beginning of the story of Genesis where God walks with Adam and Eve, the image I get there is that God is walking with Adam and Eve so that Adam and Eve can walk and show how to walk with God to their kids. Now here's the problem, and you may have already picked it up. Not all of us had someone showing us how we should live in light of a reality of God. In fact, for some of us, we had dads, mums, step-parents, foster carers. We had different situations. We had um, blended families where people lived, but they didn't necessarily show us how we should live. In some really unfortunate circumstances that absolutely breaks my heart is that they lived in sort of opposition to God and his desire, which is to be loving, kind, and show us how to live um, right and actually hurt us or hurt those we love. So when we come to Father's Day, we look to God, and as was expressed in the um, beautiful poetry that Simon read out, we come to Father's Day looking at God and saying, he is the image of the one who can meet all of our needs who can hold us tight, who can show us how we should live in the reality of his call on our lives. But for many of us, the difference is that we did not have that example to us when we were younger. And for some of us, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of loss. And when we actually think about God as our heavenly father, for some of us, we hear that phrase and go, oh, If he is anything like my earthly dad, I don't want to know him. And that's painful. So where this teaching comes in really helpful as we go through these six passages together is that if God intended at the beginning that we would each have a person to look up to to show us the ways of God, the rhythms of grace, how to live in a God reality, then these passages show us how God, Jesus wants us to live so that we can be that to those in our life. Because even though we may have had role models and parents who let us down, even though we may have not had the perfect experience, we can still go and love a child, a grandchild, a nephew, a grandnephew, grandniece, and whatever it is, we can still be the example of Jesus in our families. So let's have a look together at how, if there was a perfect dad, how he would want us to live and what he would like our lives to look like. Let's start in Mark 1, 16 to 17. Now, just a problem. Uh, you'll have to use your own Bible to follow along. I'll read it out. Uh, my laptop got stolen on Thursday, so I have no slides. So uh, just sorry about that. Uh, you'll have to use your own, your own Bible. All right. 1, 16 to 17. This is what it says. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. I love that. They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
Just to clarify, this was their job. They weren't, they weren't holidaying. They weren't relaxing. It was work, not pleasure. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Now, this beginning invitation which Jesus has for his disciples, as he calls them, has been the one thing which has continued throughout our Christian tradition. The invitation of the good life, of the gospel life, of following God, of seeing his reality come here on earth, has always been an invitation to follow. There's always been an invitation to follow. When I reflect on my growing up, one of the reasons I came to faith was not because I read the word of God one day and went, it's all true. It's because someone came alongside me and said, hey, come and look at how I live my life. Come and look at how I handle my finances. Come and look at how I handle my relationships. Come and have a look at how I handle my family. And it was through a youth leader and a youth pastor that I came to see Jesus not only as active and working through his word, but the invitation to follow them was actually an invitation to follow Jesus. And I saw what Jesus looks like through their lives. So this is the first thing that we learn from the book of Mark. If there was a perfect dad, what would he do? Number one, he would give us purpose. He would give us purpose. A loving and kind father would look at their child and say, I have something for you to do. There's purpose to your life. You're not just here to exist. You're not just here to be here today and gone tomorrow. There is a purpose, a reason for your existence. And Jesus, with his invitation to us, as it was to them back then, is come follow me. Let me show you why you're here. So it's the first thing, gives us purpose. How can we give purpose to those who we get to be spiritual parents to. Number two, we skip forward to Mark 1, 35 to 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, silence and solitude are a hallmark of Jesus' ministries. And do you know what? I hate that that's true. Because silence and solitude is really hard. I have a phone. I have kids who always want my attention. They're not here today because they're sick, unfortunately, which is good. Keep them away. Don't spread sickness. But unfortunately, they're sick. Um, Getting away, having silence is very hard to come by. Solitude, even harder to come by because it seems like we've become so efficient at filling every waking moment. The minute that there's an extra spare moment, rather than go, oh, what a great gift from God to slow down, normally I fill it quickly with something else. So, but the reality is, and the growing as a disciple of Jesus is that silence and solitude is something that we need to keep growing in. And praise the Lord that I have got better, not worse, but definitely not there. So very early in the morning, Jesus got up, went to a silent place. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, because he'd just been drawing a bit of a crowd. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So the context of this story, Jesus has started to draw a crowd. It's going quite well. If the disciples were having a team meeting at this point, they'd be looking and going, you know what? 
following Jesus ain't half bad. He seems to be the popular one. Wherever he goes, people want to gather. Wherever he goes, the miraculous seems to happen. His teaching just hits a note with everybody where they go, this is good stuff. And they come to him and say, where have you been? We need to go back and continue this good work. But Jesus says, no. I need to continue doing something which is greater than just drawing this particular crowd. I've got something else which I'm going on about. So here's the second thing which a perfect dad would do for us. He would show us that intimacy with God is primary. Intimacy with God is primary. He was successful in terms of drawing the crowd, doing what a good teacher should do, but he withdrew to spend time with God and then he knew in his spirit this is not where he's meant to be, so he moved on to where God was calling him to be. And the only reason he could make those sort of calls is because he was aligned to the Father, because he was aligned to what God was doing. So a good and perfect father shows us that intimacy with God is primary. Third thing, skip forward to Mark 4, 26 to 29. So here Jesus is teaching by the lake and he's just spitting out a lot of great stuff. And this is what he says. He also said that this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So what does that teach us about the perfect dad? It teaches us that a great dad shares insight into God's kingdom. Shares insight into God's kingdom. So Jesus was walking around teaching about the kingdom of God, this coming movement and reign, even though it wasn't complete in his time, it was the beginning of bringing in God's ideal for how we should live. The kingdom of God, the power of God was coming into the world. And the way that he taught about it, and we talked about parables last week, or the week before, I can't remember when it was now. Some In the past, we talked about parables. Um, working off a few hours of sleep here. Yeah, let's keep going. Um, and he's just looking around going, what is an example to show you what the kingdom of God is like? So a good father would come and look at our lives and say, how can I explain to you? How can I explain to you the kingdom of God coming to be here on earth? How can I explain to you the movement of God, the fact that God calls you and calls me to be people of peace? to be the people who stand in areas of conflict and to bring the love of Jesus into our world with our work, our family, our friends. A good father shares insight into God's kingdom. Number four, Mark 6, 30 to 44. I told you we're going to go through the Bible. Now, uh, I won't read this one out in its entirety, but I'll just give you the overall story. A bunch of people came to listen to Jesus. So there's a big theme in the book of Mark. Wherever Jesus is, a crowd gathers around him. There's something about the way he talks, the way he, um, miracles happen around him and everything. People just go, I want to be where Jesus is. And all these people come out together and come to listen to him. There's about 5,000 of them. And uh, they realize, hmm, we are in a remote place. Not a lot of little, um, you know, what are they called, the food vans? There's no food vans that have like seen a big event and come to help support the event by providing food. That hasn't happened here. So the people are in a remote place. They recognize mm, they're getting a little bit hungry. And uh, 
we should probably send them home to go and get fed. So the disciples go, Jesus, say, Jesus, great teaching, love it, great crowd, this is a good day. Um, we probably need to get them to go and get some food now, otherwise they're going to get really hungry and we don't want a cranky crowd. Jesus says, all right, you feed them. And the disciples probably went, I didn't bring enough. <laughs> I brought it for me. I brought enough for like maybe plus one, so 12, 13, 24, 25. So Jesus says, and, and, and they say to him, they'll take eight months worth of wages. So not only do we not have the physical food, that's a lot of food. How many loaves do you have? So they went and they found, they found that they had five loaves, two fish, and Jesus does the miraculous and he feeds 5,000 people of five loaves and two fish. So here's the fourth thing that we find that a good dad does, provides for those that he loves. A good father provides. Make sure that there is enough to meet the needs of those that he cares for and those that have been put in his care. The way I like to imagine this scene being played out is that Jesus is looking out at this sea of people and he's going to God, God, these children you've put into my care, I want to be able to feed them. And God allows the miraculous to happen. And he can feed the people. He can provide for those that he loves. So a perfect dad provides for those that he cares for. Number five, Mark 10, 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him put his hand on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now, I've battled with that text for a long time. Verse 5 there, uh, sorry, verse 15. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child would never enter it. I mean, what a challenging verse. Like, how do we receive the kingdom of God like a little child? One of the best illustrations that sort of guided my thinking through this space um, comes from a book where the guy describes his, uh, his son discovering snow for the first time. So it snows, the son's never seen snow before, two years old. So the dad goes and opens the door. And the child runs out, never seen, haven't never seen snow, looks around, takes in the awe, the wonder, the bigness of it all, this unknown substance. And it's just been piled up. It's nice and soft, so which means if they go into it, they're going to fall into it. And the child just runs, runs, runs and dives into the snow and almost in an act of surrender just lands and just slowly gets taken into the snow. Then freaks out and goes, ah, because <laughs> obviously it's cold and unsure, you know. What's happening? That image for me describes receiving faith like a child. Like this child doesn't know about the snow, runs outside with its particular worldview, which at this point is very narrow, and in an act of surrender, awe, wonder, and amazement, looks and beholds the work of the snow and goes, isn't this amazing? And then without fear, because it doesn't know that the snow is cold yet, without fear, runs and jumps into it and surrenders into the softness of the snow. And when I think about receiving faith like a child, I think of that image. 
It's almost like we, we run into God and we just totally trust. Unsure of the absolute, amazingly how big the bigness of it all, but certain that nearby stands the one who I trust, who loves me, who has my best interests of heart. So when the child fell into the snow, the dad walked over and picked him out. And when I think about the kingdom of God and the bigness of God and who he is and receiving the faith like a child, I just think of running into the snow and just going, God, I trust you. And just jumping, submitting, surrendering to the bigness of God and allowing him to come and to pick me up, to hold me tight and to make sense of it all. So if Jesus was a perfect father, what do we learn from this, Mark 10, 13 to 16? He nurtures the next generation. Jesus nurtured the next generation. A good father, a good mother, a good step-parent, a good carer looks at their child, not just for the sake of that child, but knowing that they are empowering, loving, exampling for, and bringing the next generation to be who God has called them to be. Jesus cared enough about the next generation that he wanted to nurture them, to love them, to show them. While the disciples and the society said they have their place, Jesus said, no, let's lift them up. Let's look at them. Let's bring them in and show them how to live according to my ways. And finally, number six. We find this story in Mark 15, 21 to 40. And I've gone too far and I've gone into Luke. There we go. Mark 15, 21 to 40. So Jesus lives his life as he thinks God has called him to live. So he, he is God, but he's also human. And however we deal with that, 100% God, 100% human, the Trinity, big concepts here. But to boil it down, Jesus has lived his life doing what he sees his father do. And we come to the end of his time here on earth. And he started off so well. He started off drawing crowds. He started off loving the least, the last, and the lost. He came and he showed a better way to live. There's more to live than just for this life. There's more to what we see and experience. There's actually a God who loves you, who wants to care for you, and wants you to join him in his kingdom work. And Jesus is going so well. And then we come to Mark 15. And Jesus is crucified. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, and he did not take it. They crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of charges against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right side and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you're the one who's going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him. Among themselves they said, he saved others, yet he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross, that we may see and believe. 
Those who crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard him, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone and let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last breath. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died and said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, uh, James the younger, and of Joseph, oh, the younger and of Joseph and Salome, Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs, and many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. So this is how, in the eyes of everyone who was there at the time, this is how it ended. They saw Jesus step onto scene as a 30-year-old. They saw the work of John proclaiming this new way, this Lamb of God coming. Then Jesus enters in and he teaches, he heals, he prays, he confronts, and he shows people there is a new way to follow God, which is not really a new way. It's sort of going back to say, hey, we should cut away all the stuff we've built up in between and just get back to what we should be doing. And then in the eyes of everyone there, it ends. Because... When we, see someone, when we see someone pass away, that is the end. That is the end. And it's almost like the most anticlimactic moment for someone who's viewing from the sidelines. For the people who had journeyed with Jesus, who had seen him, who had known him, who had loved him and who had been loved by him, this was distressing, heartbreaking and painful. And for those who are watching on the sidelines, it's just this anticlimactic moment of, he's going to do it, he's going to bring this change, everything's moving, and he's gone. What now? Now, the people who were there had to suffer for many hours not knowing the end of the story. But we sit in a privileged part of history knowing how the story ends. And Jesus doesn't stay dead, he rises, praise the Lord, and he becomes the... He fulfills everything that has come before him and he becomes the person who can return to the right hand of God and now all of us who believe are given salvation and we know that it's true because we know that Jesus' story doesn't end in death and defeat, it ends in victory. But here's the point that I get from the cross and the resurrection. Number six, if there was a perfect dad on earth, and this is the one which hurts us the most because when it doesn't happen, it's painful. Number six, a perfect dad loves selflessly. A perfect dad puts aside his agenda. A perfect dad puts aside his addiction. A perfect dad puts aside his pain. A perfect dad deals with his heartache. A perfect dad deals with his own crap in his life and looks at their child and loves them selflessly. And for some of us, we did not receive that love because something else stood in the way. Dad couldn't stop drinking. Dad couldn't stop gambling. Dad couldn't stop seeing other women. Dad couldn't stop this, that, the other. And because of that, my needs weren't met. Our needs weren't met. And our earthly dad failed us. And this is the one that hurts us the most. 
This is the one that brings us the most amount of pain. And for those of us who are privileged enough to grow up with a dad who did sacrifice for us, this is the one that we take for granted. I take hugely for granted the fact that I grew up in a very loving household with two parents that supported me, that loved me, that saw the best in me, and that called that out of me so that I could become a strong human being. But for some of us, we didn't have that. So when we look at Jesus, who can only do what he sees his father do, when we look at God, we see one God, a Jesus, who loves us selflessly, who put aside his own desires so that we can be loved and we can have what we need while here on earth. So, if there was a perfect dad here on earth, he would give us purpose, show us intimacy with God is crucial, share insight into God's kingdom, provide for those that he loves, nurture the next generation, and love us selflessly. Now, for some of us, that list and our experience, the gap is only quite small. Praise the Lord. Isn't that a blessing? That's a huge blessing. But for some of us, that list and our experience is such a far chasm. And I'm really sorry for that. That sucks. But what I want you to hear is that your heavenly Father, who loves you, wants all of that for you. And your earthly Father may have let you down, but your heavenly Father is here for you now. I'm going to invite the band to come up so we can finish with a, a song of worship. But before that, just to apply this to everybody here. So for all of us, whether we're a dad, a mum, whether we're single, young adult, whether we're um, widowed, whatever it may be, whatever our circumstance, our story, our experience may be, what I want you to hear from this is, is simply this. Modeling our lives on the life of Jesus is life-bringing to those who we come into contact with. If you want to be life-bringing to your family, if you want to be life-bringing to your friends, to your co-workers, be a person who calls out purpose in people. Look and see what people do and say, hey, you do that really well. Or you see something there and say, hey, I reckon God made you for a reason. I reckon part of it is actually whatever it may be. I see how confident you are, how loving you are, how kind you are. I see that in you. We need to demonstrate to those around us that intimacy with God is actually something we need to invest in and give out of. We need to share insight into God's kingdom. I don't know about you, but every now and then, God just sort of taps me on the shoulder and so he says, hey, what about this? And I go, wow, look how big you are and how, much amazing, how amazing you are, Lord. I didn't realize that. And then I get to share that mostly with my kids because they also, they give me the reaction I'm looking for. I'm like, kids, can you believe, like, look, God made this tree. Like, I'm just sitting there reflecting and looking at the intricacies and like, mate, I couldn't, if I had a million years on earth, I couldn't create something nearly as nice as this. And they're like, oh, I tell Marnell and she's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So <laughs> they're still in the awe and wonder phase of life, which is awesome. So just, anyway, share insights into God's kingdom. Provide for those that we love. Use your financial resource while here on earth to care for those that you love. That's one of the teachings of Jesus on money is it's no good making your life easier. Give it away and make other people's life easier. That way, if you don't have it anymore, they'll welcome you in. Anyway, it's a sermon for another time. Um, nurture the next generation. Look for those in your circles, love them, and nurture those who are coming through. 
and most importantly, love selflessly. And the only way we can love selflessly is when we know we have been selflessly loved. The only way I can extend grace and love to others is when I know Jesus has done it for me. When we model our lives on the life of Jesus, we basically are answering this question. What would Jesus do if he was you? Because Jesus was a 30-year-old Middle Eastern man 2,000 years ago. Not exactly going to relate to many people in this current day and age, but you are where you are for a reason. As a teacher, as a person in retirement, as someone who has kids, as someone who is caring for a family member or a loved one, you are where you are for a reason. So the question is, what would Jesus be doing if he was you in your circumstance? And how can you give people purpose, show intimacy with God, share insight into God's kingdom, provide for those he loves, nurture the next generation and love selflessly? Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to celebrate together this Father's Day, but also we are very aware that this Father's Day is not exactly, um, may not bring up the best memories for everybody. So this morning and in this place, Lord, we just want to say thank you for being the perfect example of a Heavenly Father, even when our earthly Father let us down. And when, for those of us who, our earthly fathers did a great job, we say thank you for that. We receive that gift and we want to give that on. So be with us this morning. Be with us in our week. And allow the world around us to be better because we're following you each and every day. In your name and for your glory. Amen.